Welcome to the Flip the Script podcast. I'm your host, Denali, and I'm a full-time reseller on eBay and Poshmark. My store and closet name is El Ducho, E-L-D-U-C-H-O. And you can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok as El Ducho Thrift. I'm very excited to welcome back to the podcast my good friend, Nick, who I last interviewed on August 9th of 2020. You can find Nick on Instagram under the username NCI Resale, and all of that information will be in the show notes for you. Nick is a recent college graduate, and he is a longtime seller, so I highly recommend you go back and listen to our first episode, which will be linked in the show notes here for you. Nick has recently transitioned his business into a different space, I guess you could say. He is now doing live in-person shows, and whereas he was selling modern clothing before, he's now dabbling in vintage. We had a really fun conversation, so I hope you enjoy. Let's get into it. Hi, Nick. Thanks for being on the podcast with me. Hi, Yeah, yeah. Hi, Denali. Uh, (laughs) Happy to be here. I'm so happy to have you here. Nick and I were just talking about, before we started recording, about Nick's recent trip to Seattle, which I felt so lucky. I got to hang out with Nick as he spent the weekend here. We we met up for coffee and then went, we walked down to the waterfront. I feel like we like covered we, some we went all, We went all over the place. Uh, we, we really did. It started with coffee and ended up going everywhere. Yeah, we had Peroshkis. We sat down at the market and had Peroshkis, which I didn't finish mine, but I sure finished it when I came back to the office. I was like, that thing's not getting tossed out. It's just, it's getting so put good. away till later. So yeah, good. it was delicious even an hour later. I'll say that. So, but when we were having coffee, you were updating me on so much of your life and business that has happened since I last interviewed you. And I thought, oh my gosh, this this absolutely deserves an update episode if Nick will indulge me. So with that said, Nick, I actually went back and listened to that episode this morning to just give myself a refresher. And I wanted to, I kind of wrote down some notes about things that you said. And so I, I want to read those off to you and then, and then we'll kind of go from there and you can kind of react a little bit to it. Okay. Okay. It's one of those like live reaction, like YouTube videos (laughs) that they play like you like years ago and react to yourself. There's nothing bad. I promise. So at the time when we last spoke on August 9th, 2020, you said that you were, yeah, I know. Uh, You said that you were selling on Poshmark, eBay, Instagram, in person, a little bit of thread up. You're also doing what you called your haul o'clock, which is where you would show items on your Instagram story and give people on social media the opportunity to purchase items before you listed it. But let's see. At the time, you were living with your parents, and they had generously given you two rooms in the house to have and operate your business or inventory, all that sort of stuff, which you did know at that time you were doing a hanging system as opposed to a bin system for your inventory. You also were in college at the time and you were, you were paying for your college, hopefully to then have no debt by the time you graduated. And let's see, I'm just looking at my notes because I made so many of them. 
you were going to school for fashion merchandising and you were passionate about sustainability and that, you know, kind of plans for the future is that you did want to have a career in something related to what you were getting your degree in, but also still operate reselling in some capacity. So Nick, my question for you Um, is since that episode how has your business and life changed since then well it's crazy having you like read those things back because it's like I mean I think everybody can agree that like the last three years everybody's lives have gone in like so many different directions and like everything has it feels like it was yesterday but also like 10 years ago at the same time and it's crazy that it's been three three years almost three years just like shy of three yeah But, you know, you you threw a lot out there. So let me do my best. Yeah, take it one thing at a time. We we could like go down the list. So first thing (laughs) is is where where I'm selling stuff, right? That was first on the list. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, as of today, I focus most of my online business on Poshmark and eBay. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably about... And Mercari, I should, I should throw Mercari is like the, the, the distant third, but um, I would say that eBay, I would say, you know, eBay and Poshmark are about equal. And then Mercari is there just like, you know, surprise every so often. (laughs) Wow. Bonus money. Um, And then in addition to that, I do still do holocausts periodically on my, on my socials. Um, Not as, not as frequently as I would like, but uh, and definitely not as frequently as I used to in like the golden era of Nick Instagram, but uh, <laughs> but definitely something that is still occurring. And then a kind kind of the new thing, the new change in my business over the last few years has been really moving into doing live events. So doing, I've been you know traveling you know, transitioning slowly into doing more vintage. I guess that's kind of an important piece of information there. I would say in the last two years, especially I've transitioned my business. I wouldn't say away from modern, but definitely into more vintage clothing. It's something that I have developed a passion for. It's something that I've developed uh, a kind of a love for and doing vintage events. That's something I started in January of 2021 is when I did my first event and wait, January of 2022. To, everything's a blur. Uh, it's <laughs> January of 2022 because we're in 2023 now, right? Which right. Is a, yes. Weird, that's a weird sentence to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. January 22 is when I did my first show and I didn't know what I'd feel about it going into it. I'm sure we'll get into it. You know, a year and a half later, I have done 30 plus shows and love it. And it's been a fantastic addition to my business and kind of reignited a spark in me that started to had started to fade. And so I, I really enjoy doing that. So that's point number one. Now, I don't mm-hmm. know if you want to converse about point by point, or you want me to get through all of these things before we. Have yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm trying to decide. I don't think there's any wrong way for us to go about it. Let's go point by point because I'm taking some notes here and then I'll, I'll come back and we'll, we'll elaborate on each one. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. Point number two was where I was living. 
Correct. Okay. I'm impressed with my memory on these. I am too. I was like, did he write it down? I did not. <laughs> I did not write it down. Um, so yeah, that's a big change. So I moved out of my parents' house two years ago. I live, I grew up and lived in the suburbs of Minneapolis. If you're from Minnesota, I grew up in Anoka, Halloween capital of the world represent. Um, <laughs> but I moved to the cities. So I moved to Minneapolis. I went to school at the University of Minnesota, which is in Minneapolis. And I have since lived in two places. Uh, I lived in a in an old house for a year, and now I live in an apartment just outside of downtown Minneapolis. So right on the Mississippi. It's beautiful. I love it. Definitely a different thing. I don't have my business operating. Well, some hypothetically, I don't have my business operating out of my apartment, <laughs> although I think everybody can relate to the fact that when you're in this line of work, clothes tend to follow you wherever you are. And <laughs> sometimes you're like where where did these come from like they just like materialize out of thin air <laughs> um but uh yes I I do not live at home I, I live in my wonderful apartment I ha- operate my storage system out of my multiple storage units I have two storage units one in which I keep all of my business inventory so what I have listed online as well as my back stocked inventory and then one that is dedicated specifically to my vintage event kind of side of my business. So that okay. was question number two and yeah. three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I mean, what was three, what, how I do my inventory. Mm-hmm. So then what, what do you think point number three would be? Three is how I, how I store my inventory. Is that okay. Three? Okay. So then what's the next one? No, no, no. <laughs> is, is that three? I mean, yeah, kind of. I mean, I didn't, I didn't bullet point them, but we're making in unofficial bullet points right okay. now. So Un- unofficial okay. bullet points. Yeah. We're meandering our way through the first point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. I still have a hanging system for the most part. Okay. What? I was wondering about that. Okay. Yes. For my online, like listed inventory, I have uh, about a, th- uh, just over a thousand things listed. So okay. I have a semi-permanent structure constructed within my storage unit. Um, okay you know, obviously it can be taken apart and taken down or whatever, but for all of my hanging items. And then I have a bin system for like all of the pants and accessories and what have you, but, but for anything that can go on a regular hanger, I do have it hanged. Okay. That was bullet point, not bullet point number three. Uh, (laughs) Give me the next point to talk about Denali. Yeah. So next one would just be about college mm. and life after college so Got it. Kind of together yeah well that's a big change mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um so I graduated from college I got my degree in retail merchandising so fashion merchandising like I said from the University of Minnesota I graduated last December so December of 2022 I graduated a semester early I have I think you had mentioned my intro, my heightened interest in sustainability when we talked last. That is something that I am still incredibly passionate about. I ended up getting my minor in college in sustainability studies with an emphasis on business administration and as it relates to fashion. So I was able to kind of specify that. So I really did, you know, I did my capstone project about fast fashion and its environmental impact and how that 
you know, kind of ties into different areas of social justice uh, and environmental justice. So very nerdy about that topic, but it's something that is very close to me and very important to me. So that is something I uh, did, you know, follow through on, if you will, in my college Mm -hmm. experience. Um, And post-college, well, I have a full-time job outside of my reselling. I (laughs) did not get a job in directly in my industry like I had planned. I think if I, if 2020 me knew what I do for my full-time job now, I probably would have been like, how did you get there? Uh, (laughs) But um, I work full-time as a strategist at a marketing agency. So I do all sorts of digital content strategy and market research um, for my full-time job, which sounds boring to the normal person, but I absolutely love it. I love my full-time job and it works perfectly, like complementary to me to what I do reselling. It peaks different parts of my, it, it utilizes both sides of my brain. And I find it that each one helps me avoid being burned out from the other if that makes sense yeah yeah because that yeah they're different in a lot of ways and and you get to kind of clock out from one and and uh you know I would think I don't know which one do you think is the more creative one because I was gonna say is reselling the more creative of the two but maybe not I would argue that they're both creative maybe not in the traditional sense but in, in the way that you both, you know, for both of them, I have to employ creative thinking to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, in terms of like the work itself, I would describe, you know, reselling as like, you know, flow state work. Like it's my, like, I don't really have to think about this work. I just do. Yeah. Um, right. Versus I tell people my full-time, my day job is like, I think for a living. And so <laughs> I, you know, that's pretty intense, like my, like thinking all the time. And so reselling really helps is like my release. Like it's my, you know, especially I, maybe the kind of, you know, curating things that I, I love and especially the vintage piece of it is just fun for me. It's something yeah. I really enjoy doing. That's cool. Are you tired of spending hours sharing and sending offers to likers? Introducing Posher VA, the web program that will save you time and increase your sales. With Posher VA, you can automatically share your closet, send offers to likers, and schedule your share times all with just a few clicks. Using code ELDUCHO, you can try Posher VA for two weeks for free, no credit card required. Posher VA is not just another program, it is your program. Say goodbye to manual sharing and hello to even more time in your business. Try Posher VA today using code ELDUCHO, E-L-D-U-C-H-O. So, you know, being a strategist and you said you do digital content strategy, what, you know, I, I know what that is because you explained it to me, but in the simplest form, how would you explain what you do on the daily or weekly in this job? Oh, that's a loaded question. I know. Um, <laughs> for, for, for those of you who don't know, I think I spent 45 minutes describing what I do to Denali uh, when we had <laughs> Seattle. It's more of a question of like, what don't I do? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no. So in my 
day to day, I would say that my job is kind of a a, a catch all, if you will. I would describe what I do kind of primarily in two separate parts, right? So there's the research, like market research side of what I do. So I do I I write and analyze surveys and conduct focus groups. So I do a lot of primary research, you know, ranging from CPG testing, so packaging, creative testing, A-B tests to determine, you know, help help com- help our clients, help companies figure out what packaging is resonating with whatever given target market that they're trying to market to. Or, you know, determining more maybe on a front end of like what sentiments are towards a brand or a concept or creative idea or current creative. And so I do a lot of that. So that's like half of my job. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, I, I do more broad kind of content strategy. So I do a lot of consumer journey mapping, site audits, you know, building things like loyalty programs, doing, you know, kind of end to end journey ideation for companies. So how a consumer would maybe interact with a new marketing campaign that would come out or a website that is being developed and how the experience of that individual would, you know, come to fruition, like come to be and, you know, the different ways in which they could possibly interact with that and make outreach to those individuals. So that was, you know, really, really high level maybe um overview of what I do but I think those are kind of Mm -hmm. encompassing of the two parts was was I tracking there yeah I mean you know what I just wrote down and I'm curious if you'd agree is that it sounds like really what you have is you know or what you aim to figure out is like a deep understanding of customers yes a deep understanding I would I would argue to say a deep understanding of both clients and customers. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, when I, when I take on projects for various companies and I work with everywhere from like fortune five companies to like small businesses Mm -hmm. in my job. And um, I have to fully understand and deep dive into what that company does, what their business is to be able to effectively understand how they communicate those things to consumers. So it's kind of like I'm the middleman connecting point A to point B and figuring out the best way for the kind of open line of communication between those two. Like how wh- wh- what's the best way for that to manifest? Yeah. Yeah, no it makes sense. And I'm just wondering has you know this experience being in this job, you know, how or has it been brought over into your resale business? Do you feel like it's made you look at how you interact with customers differently or how you sell things differently? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is going to be a big fat non-answer to your question, but (laughs) um, just a warning up, up front. But I would actually argue that it's the reverse, that my reselling business has kind of informed the way in which I do my day job or it has given me a lot of you know key you know abilities or that's maybe not the best way to think about it but my reselling you know I've been reselling for over 10 years now and 
it is all about strategy being a reseller. It's totally about strategic thinking. You know, what is going to sell best at what time to who? Right. You always have to answer your, that question or you always have to think about the next thing. And I think that, strate- that, uh, that strategic thinking, that analytical thinking that I, you know, taught myself in, in reselling is invaluable to what I do on a day-to-day basis with, you know, cl- real clients who are spending millions of dollars on, you know, client outreach or, or, or um, you know, marketing campaigns to reach people. And so I think that, 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 that piece of strategic thinking has really, really helped me in that way. Now, on the flip side, how my job has helped my reselling, that's a good question that I need to noodle on for a second. Um, yeah, no, that's fine. You can come back to it if you want. I, I mean, I think it's interesting that you, you flipped it the other way that reselling has been, you know, your experience in reselling or just dealing with customers and stuff has been an asset to you in this job. And like you said, you have been doing this for a long time, 10 years now, and you sold in a lot of different ways and nothing beats, I mean, you can go to school and learn a lot of things, but nothing will beat having that one-on-one experience that you have had with customers through the years and interacting and, you know, whether interactions have been good, bad, whatever. I mean, it's all kind of, uh, it's all a learning experience, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, even, and I think this might just be more of like a, a me thing, but like, I love kind of getting in deep and thinking strategically and analytically about things. And that's how I ended up where I ended up. I, you know, like we had, you know, talked about briefly, I went to school for fashion merchandising, which for those of you who might not know or be familiar with what that is, I effectively went to school to be a buyer or, you know, a merchandise analyst for uh, oftentimes big corporations. So determining what product to bring in to a store, which is all strategic. That is totally, you know, analytical looking at data and determining trends and based off of those trends, forecasting what is the next big thing to come and then Mm -hmm. buying that said thing before that trend hits so that you can be on the front of the trend curve and hopefully sell a bunch of stuff and when you know when buyers do a good job companies prosper and when they do a bad job that's when you have like overflowing clearance racks of like ugly prairie dresses looking at you target Um, (laughs) and so um what, what, what were people calling them on TikTok? Little House on the Prairie dresses. Um, <laughs> totally. Any, anyway, so point point being that I fell in love with that area of the world or area of business because it required me to think strategically, and I felt that it was a very good fit for me because of what I did reselling. Because effectively, we're all like you know trend forecasters in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, and that we have to figure out what what sells what doesn't sell and what you know what is best for us at a given time and so that's how I fell in love with my degree um and then when I couldn't you know I'll I'll I'll, I'll spare everybody of the long story of me not being able to get a job in my industry but that's the that's the spark notes version I had a really hard time finding an internship in retail which I needed an internship a professional internship to graduate Mm. And I 
it was not for me that big of a leap to go from, you know, kind of retail strategy to uh, marketing strategy. And so I applied for jobs at a couple or internships at several different agencies and I got offers from two of them and I ended up at the company I'm at which I adore and this was April of last year so a year and two months ago and I've been with them ever since I accepted a full-time offer to stay at this company last August I worked there part-time while I was finishing school and I've been here after a brief uh, stint where I was in Europe for two and a half weeks, uh, I've been working full-time there ever since. So that was a, I went on a really bad tangent from your question. I am so Oh, no, it's okay. But... No, no. <laughs> no, I was thinking, I was like, yeah, it's just funny where, funny where life takes us, right, Nick? Yes. One job and, and you do another and, and then you mm-hmm. love it. You never know. So yeah, summing everything I just set up Denali in like 15 seconds. I think that the strategy aspect goes both ways and has helped me, you know, the strategic analytical thinking that I learned from reselling that I kind of honed in or learned more about in college have, you know, exponentially helped me in my, you know, full-time job. And, you know, at the same way, it's, you know, strategic thinking is not something that you like learn and then you're like, okay, I'm good. It's, it's something that you can constantly work on and evolve and, you know, use that type of thinking to make your work better. And so I think that as I've worked and, you know, really interacted with clients and, you know, worked on big projects, that's definitely helped me kind of hone in my, my, the way I think about my business. And it's also just forced me, you know, frankly, just having a full-time job and reselling has forced me to you know, think about the way I do it and my processes and time manage and, mm-hmm. and all of those fun things as well. Right. Because your time becomes worth a different amount than what it used to be. Yes. Okay. So I want to go back to earlier when we were talking and you mentioned live events and, you know, someone listening right now might think that you're talking about a live selling show, for instance, on Poshmark or whatnot, or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Tell me what are live events for you and how did you get into it? Yes. So I, maybe I should have made that distinction earlier, but I do not do, I have in the past, but I do not do really live selling in the sense of like whatnot or Instagram live or stuff like that. When I say live events, I mean like in-person setup events. I'm going to answer both questions at the same time. So, <laughs> and, and kind of the backstory of how I got into it. So I, during COVID or when, you know, peak COVID 2020, I resold, like I like went hard into reselling. Like I had nothing else to do, quite frankly, And I just like full sent it for a year and I had my best year ever to date. That is my top, you know, 2020 was my best year ever. And in that aspect, it was fantastic, but I like burned myself out so bad. Like I ran myself into the ground to where I like lost all passion for what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I stopped posting on Instagram. I like, barely listed anything and there was like a period of like 
six months where I just like like barely kept it alive. And I kind of came to this like recognition where I was, I was starting to like come out of burnout mode, but not all the way. When I was presented with an opportunity to vend at an in-person vintage show. And it was, I had met the people who were organizing it before. They were local to to Minneapolis. They owned a vintage store. And I kind of like noodled back and forth on it. I was like, is this something I want to do? I don't really sell vintage clothes, but I have some and I can definitely find some. And so I kind of bit the bullet and registered uh, without a plan. Uh, I just (laughs) paid the money and I was like, I'll figure it out. And I remember it was around probably Thanksgiving and the event itself was in January. So I had like a hot second to figure it out. And, you know, I had a 10 by 10 booth, set it up. It was at the, it was at the Minneapolis convention center. And when I tell you that was the craziest day of my entire life, I am not exaggerating. I think, you know, I am now very good friends with the organizers of this event and they had no idea what was what was about to transpire that day, but almost ten thousand people came wow. uh, to the event, and I, you know, I had my like booth of like mismatched, like kind of really bad quality, like hanging racks, like things were like falling over. Everything was like handwritten price tags. It, I mean, it was it was like very amateur hour, right? <laughs> and I sold like three hundred things that day which was probably half of what I brought. And from that point on, that, that, I was hooked, man. Um, <laughs> and over time, you know, they, it's been really cool to see my friends Sarah and Andy own and, and run this event, this one particular event called, it's now called Totally Rad Vintage Fest. But um, it's been really cool to see them scale their business, um, mm-hmm. running these, these events that, you know, originally their, their original name was uh, Twin Cities Vintage Fest, so local to Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, and they have, they rebranded, um, they had a, they made enough money at that event to actually go to a brand agency and get like a brand identity and stuff built out for them, which was super cool. And since have started doing tours um, around this last, this last summer, or sorry, let me try that again. This last like fall winter season, they toured mm-hmm. 10 cities in the Midwest, I believe. Of those, I did five. Uh, I So I, I did some traveling mm-hmm. as, as well as since that January show, all of their Minneapolis shows. So all of the ones that are local to me. Um, I've also done events outside of them, smaller events, you know, your more traditional pop-up vintage event as well as another organizer in in where I live here in the cities that that does events but I just have found that I love one curating vintage but also just like the interpersonal interactions with people at these events and how much they enjoy the the stuff that I find the stuff that I curate and really just seeing it kind of tangibly on somebody or somebody really like finding a piece that they love, which is something that you don't necessarily get when you're just selling things on eBay to, you know, Pam is hot 7,000 with like a fire emoji (laughs) and a blank profile picture. Like, you know, you, you don't get that same like gratification. uh, Right. 
of what you do. And so I have, you know, leaned, I would say this year, it's going to be 30 to 40% of my business. The total amount, you know, that I make will be from these vintage shows. And I, and potentially even more, you know, it's one thing about them is you can never predict them. And, you know, I'm going to be doing some more traveling. I, they're doing another big tour coming up this fall uh, and winter. Um, you know, shout outs to my, shout out to my friend, friends, uh, Sa- Sandy and Era. Let me try that again. Andy and Sarah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Long day. Um <laughs> They have just been working their butts off and they're doing a 15 city tour ranging, you know, spanning New York city to Colorado Springs. So, and, uh, you know, me and my, my, my premium garbage are going to be hauling it all, all across the United States coming up here. Okay. That's exciting. I know firsthand how exhausting it can be to manage all the tasks in my reselling business, like listing, bookkeeping, and more. But I've found a solution that has given me back my time and allowed me to grow my business, hiring a virtual assistant. And now I wanna share that solution with you. That's why I've created an online course called Hiring a Virtual Assistant for Your Reselling Business. With this course, you'll learn everything you need to know to find, train, and manage a virtual assistant like a pro. And because I want to make this course accessible to everyone, I'm offering a special coupon code, flip the script that gives you $10 off at checkout. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your reselling business to the next level. Sign up now at hiringava.com and let's enjoy the freedom and fun of growing our businesses together. Again, you can sign up at hiringava.com. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about is that between the time for that first show, uh, when you signed up to January, when the show was, I mean, did you have the amount of inventory that you would need to do a show? And I mean, like how many pieces do you need to have a show? And then how did you get all of those pieces? Fair. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, (laughs) I was, I was kind of building the plane while I was flying on that one. Uh, but, and honestly, this, I mean, I just went really hard for like three months and those three months are probably like the more, one of the most impactful times in, in, you know, my whole reselling tenure, uh, because I basically taught myself how to source vintage. I knew to an extent, you know, the more recognizable vintage things, but I knew nothing about, you know, example, like single stitch t-shirts. Like I would have seen an old t-shirt and been like, that's an old Mm -hmm. t-shirt. And I still kind of think, wow, that's an old t-shirt. Why is somebody buying this? But that's not the point. (laughs) And, and so, you know, in that three months, I, you know, went to the bins a lot. I sourced primarily from the bins, I should say. I, you know, learned trial and error and I just picked a bunch of stuff up, a bunch of stuff at that January event sold that, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I sold that. But really, I just went hard and found particular, basically anything that was more than 20 years old that I could get my hands on. Mm -hmm. Um, I had at the time, I hadn't really figured out like an aesthetic, a vibe, there wasn't really much curating happening. Now, 
you know, as you can imagine, almost two years later or a year and a half later, I've, you know, honed in on the process, what I buy, what I sell, you know, I was able to reinvest money back and get, you know, Z rolling, you know, collapsible rolling Z racks and round racks and, you know, matching hangers and like all those stupid things that don't actually matter, but matter to me as a type A person who went to school for (laughs) merchandising, making everything nice. But, you know, I would say I've never counted out piece by piece how much stuff I bring to an event. Uh, And, you know, it probably depends entirely on the event, you know, uh, as I've gotten more confident and have done more events, I've gotten bigger spaces. So, you know, when I'm doing a big event, I often have a 12 by 24 space. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if I have a 12 by 24 space, we're talking probably a thousand to 1500 items. Wow. I would probably air closer to a thousand and you mm-hmm. know, on a, in a regular size booth, which is typically 10 by 10 or 12 by 12, you know, five to 700, maybe mm-hmm. uh, I'm totally spitballing here. You know, I could be wrong. It's like the jar full of jelly beans. Uh, <laughs> like how many jelly beans are in this jar? I don't know, but that would be my, like, that would be my educated guess as somebody who has to move a thousand items in and out in a day. So I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it does. And I guess for somebody who's listening to this, who's thought, well, you know, I'd be interested in doing something like this. Maybe they're aware of shows in their area, but they're concerned about whether or not it's profitable. I, you know, we can assume that it's been profitable for you, given that you've continued to do 30 plus shows. But, you know, what does it look like and how does it compare to traditional reselling has it been more fruitful or is it just fruitful in a different way I would say fruitful in a different way I think the you know there's no like right answer right it's a I think it's more up to what you do you like and what you're into as an individual for me you know being quite you know it it might seem like you're not doing as much work at a vintage show because you're not listing the items. You're not, you know, doing a full online description or whatever, but it is a lot of effort and a lot of time prepping every item, pricing it, hanging it up, storing it, and then transporting it back and forth um, to events. You know, like I said, I've done events, you know, the farthest I have traveled to date is, to Detroit from Minneapolis, which is about 800 miles. And, you know, hauling stuff in a U-Haul or a pickup truck or whatever, you know, it's, so it's, it's a, it's a lot of work, like quite frankly, in just a different way. Yeah. Um, but I love it for kind of those intrinsic value reasons, just like seeing the kind of satisfaction I've been, you know, it's one of those things where it, it's a lot of investment you know, I have to invest in all of this inventory up front and I only make, I only see the money back when I actually do a show. And sometimes it's a month or two months between shows. And so, you know, I'm investing a significant amount of money up front. It's one of those kind of like, you have to spend money to make money. So you have to have infrastructure and planning set up in that way. Um, You know, I'm lucky and, you know, or maybe lucky is the wrong word, but you know, the way I have my business operating and set up, I 
always have cash flow because I'm, you know, selling online as well. And so that's very helpful to me, but, um, it's, it's, I I would say it's just different. Um, you're just kind of transferring your energy, the work that you would do in listing stuff online into a different source. You know, I don't think it has to be, um, super intense, especially, you know, I don't expect everybody to like run out and join a traveling show and go all over the country. I just do that because I'm insane. And I also like it. Um, (laughs) But, you know, just doing something local, connecting to a a, a local vintage market, a local boutique vintage store or something, or, or honestly, you know, a lot of places there's, you know, flea markets or stuff like that. I think if it's a great way to kind of expand your horizons and think differently about what it means to resell, and, you know, I would just encourage people to to do what works for them. I mean, I, I don't think everybody would love doing what I do, but I love doing it. And I don't think I would like doing what many people do. You know, I'll just use, mm-hmm. the, I'll use the example of live selling. Like I, I think live selling is a great thing. I think there's a huge opportunity there. And I see people out there, you know, being wildly successful doing it. But I recognize like in my life for what I do and my, schedule and my you know interests it's it's just not for me and Mm -hmm. I think you know people think that it's so much easier that these people are all just taking the easy way out in doing it and I will assure you as somebody who has done a live show before it is not easier (laughs) um it's just different right Um, that was a really great circle all the way back to the original question you asked (laughs) yeah no I mean I, I agree with you you know, I've talked about this with people on the podcast before that there's, I don't think there's necessarily an easier way to resell. There's just different ways and they all can be time consuming. You know, like you said, for you, uh, there's just a lot of planning that will happen in between shows up until the actual show. And even, you know, on a much smaller scale, I think the same thing applies to the live selling that happens online, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's Absolutely. a lot of backend. Yeah. There's a lot of backend work that still has to happen before the final event. And then of course, if we talk about, you know, traditional on- online reselling, we just know, <laughs> we just know in general, everybody knows, everybody knows, yep. <laughs> everyone knows that that one's time consuming, but yeah, I, you know, that was my question, which you did kind of answer is that, you know, do you have an interest in doing the live online selling and you, it sounds like you don't. And and it's just for, you've recognized what works best in your life with the time that you have in your life. Yeah. And I mean, it's not something that I would like totally like take off of the, uh, off of the, you know, the buffet of options. Right. Where I'm at right now, I, you know, it just doesn't, it, it's not the easiest thing for me. It doesn't work the best for me. I have found other things that work with my situation. You know, frankly, I like, I live in a 700 square foot apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot have a full like live selling setup going on. Right. <laughs> and so it, 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 it's not something that might, you know, fit with what I do right now and the time that I have. And so, you know, I choose to put my time, which is a very valuable resource elsewhere. Right. Yeah. That sounded no, really that makes vain. Sense. I did not mean it to sound really vain. You know what I meant. You know no, what I meant. I, to- I understand what you mean. And, you know, what's interesting is that you've, 
said at least once now in this interview about having the interaction with customers in person that really fills your bucket that you like being able to see people browsing through items, try it on, leave happy with their item. And what's interesting is that you actually said that in our first interview, you said the same thing, which is why you enjoyed doing your haul o'clock mm. is that mm-hmm. you, you felt like you had this uh, more direct interaction with people um, because there were repeat customers who were coming back to you and maybe they would send you photos or post the photos online and tag you in them. And so you felt like you got to be a part of the experience. And so it's just interesting how that sentiment of yours has evolved and now brought you into this live events of vintage selling uh, where you get to experience it firsthand, face-to-face. Who would have known? Yeah, no, I wouldn't have known at the time. I thought you'd you probably, if you told me what I do now, I thought you'd, I probably would have thought you'd been crazy, but um, <laughs> I, no, that is really cool. Um, yeah, it's just, inter- it's just interesting. And it's funny because I didn't write it down, but then you said it and I was like, that is the same thing that he said back then. So it is something that clearly you value in your business is the customer interaction and customer relationship and gosh isn't that funny because that just relates back to the work that you do now both in your resale business but in your professional you know your nine to five we'll say yes full full circle full circle moment nick yes that is so fascinating okay well you know i guess then what people might be wondering is have you written off modern clothing in your business does it still exist yes absolutely and to what, I guess, what's the capacity of it? Like, you know, you mentioned that you're selling still on Poshmark, eBay, Mercari. So are you, you know, I know the answers to this because <laughs> we met. You have insider so information. I've got insider, insider information. On this one. Yeah. But, but, you know, are you strictly going to the bins? Do you do consignment? How does your life work in that way? Yeah, so I would say I primarily source from the bins. I'm cheap in that way. Um, <laughs> but also, I, I just think that I, you know, I'm very lucky where I live that there's so much access to really great stuff at the bins. Um, we have lots okay. of bins here. It's easily accessible to me um, at a price that you can't beat. You know, outside of the bins, I source you know, much, you know, maybe like, I I would say like 90% bins, 10%, you know, consignment stores, regular thrift stores. I really don't go to regular thrift stores. Mm -hmm. I have a little bit of a vendetta against Goodwill, but it doesn't everybody. I've yet to meet one reseller that's like, yes, I love Goodwill. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, you know, kind of 10% that other category online sourcing a little, but very much primarily the bins. Got it. Okay. So, you know, I guess in thinking about your business and where it's at today, you know, it's probably, I don't know. I mean, you're young. And I think I probably told you this when we, we had coffee saying the world is your oyster, but the world is your oyster, Nick, Hmm. (laughs) you know, where do you see the future of your reselling business going? I mean, so much has changed in the past three years. Do you 
do you forecast at all, you know, or do you goal set for what you'd like to accomplish in the next year with your business? Or are you just kind of going with the flow? No, I definitely have goals. Um, I definitely, you know, right now my like word of 2023 is like balance. It's figuring out what the right combination of things is. And I feel like right now I'm actually feeling very good about how I'm kind of locking down a process and, um, you know, the way in which I'm accomplishing things. Um, Mm -hmm. maybe this is sliding back to your last question just a little bit because now I'm realizing I didn't really answer it, but, um, you know, this idea that, you know, last year I was like full sending into like live shows and like figuring out what I was doing. And, you know, it's very exciting because you can like make $5,000 in a day, like, you know, it's all of these things. And I kind of put, um, I put modern, you know, online listing maybe on a back burner, um, not fully off, definitely more than when I was in my burnout period, but, but, you know, I spent time developing a process, developing, you know, really learning and getting, you know, honing the craft, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I'm at a point where I can kind of just, uh, that, that part of my business is so, standardized I have such a solid process in which I do that that I have now been able to kind of really bring my focus back equally between my two children um between (laughs) that um that kind of aspect of my business but also the online selling and I think also you know taking maybe a step back or a break from it you know renewed my excitement renewed my kind of you know, passion for what I'm doing and kind of brought back my enjoyment of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, money doesn't hurt either. Um, (laughs) You know, nothing quite lights a fire under you like a couple dollars. Um, But, but, um, you know, I've really been able to kind of start to think about how those things play into each other. And, you know, I'm back, I've listed, you know, I've gotten my active online listings up from maybe six months ago being in the mid 600s to I think yesterday I have just over 1100 so that active listing count and of course you know as the you know whatever philosopher once said you list stuff it sells um (laughs) but uh but you know I'm really you know feeling that like it's like wow who would have thunk if you like list three things a day um things will sell uh (laughs) But, um, you know, just kind of getting that down. So, you know, like I said, I've really focused on that kind of balance piece in recent times, but, uh, and that's really helping me kind of propel my business to, you know, my, towards my goals, which, you know, in the next year, I would love to get a, um, get a space Mm -hmm. uh, that's not a storage unit, a space that I can house my whole business in, have a photo studio um, have, uh, you know, uh, inventory storage. I would love to have a space in which I could do pop-ups, um, you know, open up to the public periodically. Mm. I don't mm-hmm. want to have a retail store. That's a can of worms. I don't want to unload on right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, I say, you know, if I ever got, I tell myself if I ever were to, you know, God forbid, knock on wood, whatever, not no bad juju here, but like, if I were to be like laid off or something, um, yeah. I think that's the, what I would do. I think I would open a store, but, uh, and that's, I think, you know, 
dream, you know, if money wasn't an object and I was independently wealthy and, you know, so on. Um, <laughs> I, something I would love to do, um, but just not on my, not on my map at this point in time, but uh, just having a space in which I could open periodically, uh, but really um, have a workspace, you know, continue to develop processes and, um, you know, streamline how I work to make, you know, it as easy and pain-free as possible as I, you know, have, so it doesn't feel like I work 80 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Um, And, um, you know, just keep trucking along, Um, you know, more on a maybe personal level, just, you know, keep, keep being able to travel. You know, you referenced one of my goals three years ago, um, Mm -hmm. which was, uh, to use reselling to graduate college debt-free. And that is something that I accomplished. Um, Yay! I, I graduated um, college 100% debt-free. I have no student loans. Um, I paid for my college 100% from money I made on Poshmark. Wow. Which is very exciting. And, you know, thinking next big goal, I'm, you know, five-year plan. I'd love to buy a house. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to, you know, start thinking about, you know, bigger purchases like that in my future and really just work towards the next big thing, Denali. That's amazing. I, you know, I was wondering when I was listening to the episode this morning and you mentioned that you wanted to be debt free, you know, that was something I was like, oh, I wonder if he ended up doing it. And it's so incredible that you were able to pay for it with your reselling business. I mean, it's just, it never ceases to amaze me how people use Uh, you know, we always joke and say it's like selling garbage on the internet, but how we use selling garbage on the internet to pay for so many important things in our lives. It's like one of my favorite things, like seeing what people have been able to accomplish Mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, selling premium garbage online. Like it's true. I mean, right. I mean, it's literally other people's discarded items. It is unwanted items that you know, we're not saying that there's no use for them, but if they somebody don't sell, that. what'd you say? I said, somebody thought there was no use for them. If That's why they did, ended up where right? we got them. Right. Exactly. That's the thing is that, you know, and really what you and I talked about when we last recorded is about how, shopping at the Goodwill outlet, which is definitely one of the stops towards the end <laughs> for an a thing, an item, a clothing item, whatever it might be, it's towards the end of its life cycle, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, because now it didn't sell at a thrift store. It's, it doesn't get to go back to a thrift store. It is now going to be cut up or sent elsewhere or, you know, a number of different things or put in a landfill. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a a lot of different situations for it, but it's, re- it's truly not going to get the probably initial use that it was intended for. So yeah, it's just amazing that we can find something in those big blue bins, sell it online, and then it buys you college textbooks. That's kind of magical. Yeah, no, it's even like one of those things where like, I look back on it and I'm like, dang, I can't believe I did that, but I did. It is. I mean, so. <laughs> I, really, I mean, there's like, I feel like you should 
have like an article written about this, like a, you know, you write an essay about how you sold, yeah, trash on the internet. I don't know if people are paying for those sort of articles, but I just think <laughs> it's, it's just such a cool story. And, you know, you and I both know other people in this community who have done so many amazing things with that money as well. And so, yeah, it, you should definitely be proud of that, Nick. It's yeah, incredible to be debt free from college at this age. Well, thank <laughs> I, mean, you. I I very much appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I guess if talking about that period in time when we last interviewed, my last question for you, Nick, is if you could go back in time magically and give yourself a piece of advice on, I think, what did I say, August 9th, twenty twenty that you feel like you, it would have been helpful to you in some way. Um, I'm curious what you would tell yourself. I think that, well, it's one of those things where you're like, like, I think I said this earlier, but three years ago feels like, you know, yesterday and also like a decade. I agree. Um, Like everything that's happened since. Um, But I think that at that time I had, such a set view of what I thought my life was going to be. And I think I've said this maybe five times over the course of our conversation here that it's like, um, you know, I probably wouldn't have believed you if (laughs) I told you I did this or X, Y, I I think I've said that a few times. And I think what I would have told myself is to not put myself in a box to not, you know, limit myself to what I think I want to do or like have a really narrow path. I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of value. I think there's value in setting goals and having aspirations, but, you know, letting yourself, you know, kind of ride the messy wave of life can be really beneficial. And, you know, I, as we've talked about, have, you know, in life and business have had many changes over the last three years. And I had to, you know, go through the growing pains of doing those changes and kind of accept that I was going off the path that I thought I wanted to be on. And in hindsight, you know, if I would have just let it happen, I think I would have been, you know, even happier from the get go. But, you know, Mm -hmm. just knowing that I am at the happiest place of my life now, I, you know, love my job. I love where I'm at reselling wise. I love where I live. I love, you know, the people that I have around me. And so I think that, you know, everything happens. This is getting really deep. I'm so sorry. Everything happens happens for a reason and just kind of letting going, you know, this is a really long winded way of saying going with the flow, but just, you know, letting life take you where life's going to take you. And I would have, you know, just told myself to be more open. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really great and important life lesson to learn and to learn it really on is really valuable and to acknowledge it really early on is very valuable because, right, I mean, you know, once you're an adult, you realize that there's going to be a lot of curveballs in life. Most things aren't going to go your way. You know, there's... um. I, you know, for people joke that like, you know, they give out like participation trophies to everybody, (laughs) you know, that sort of thing. And it's, that doesn't exist though. Right. In the, Mm -hmm. in the real world. And 
so for you in thinking back to our conversation and when you said, you know, you had trouble finding that internship that you needed. And I can only imagine that that was probably very frustrating at that time for you, because for you, you've just gone to school to, you know, for to study this program to potentially become a buyer. And so when that opportunity wasn't kind of coming up for you, you know, it's probably feels a little disheartening, but then at the same time, this other opportunity presents itself that, you know, in this conversation, you say, I would have never believed (laughs) that I would have been doing this. And here you are saying in the same breath, how much you love your job, which you told me that when, you know, we met up about, you know, two or three weeks ago, I think at this point, how much you love your job, how much you love where you live and how great things are going in your life. But you wouldn't have probably predicted that at that time. And, and, and I guess what's really important is that you were open to exploring this other internship, which then led to a job for you. Yeah, for sure. No, it's crazy to think about. It's, you know, life is interesting. Life is messy and you, it's something I've learned to kind of accept and embrace. And, you know, I think I'm happier because of it. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. I don't know if you heard that, but my, my Apple watch just got prompted on accident. Oh, you're <laughs> so good. I, something I said must have uh, prompted. Here you got all up in there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But right. And I think that, you know, just in business as well, if you cannot put yourself in that box because you were in that box, right? A few years I was ago, in that box. Correct. With absolutely. your business, right. You were like, I sell on Poshmark, eBay, whatever other, let's see, that I wrote down Instagram, you know, that's what you did. You sold modern clothing. That was your jam. And then you just took another opportunity and look at how fruitful that's been for you. So that's kind of amazing, Nick. Good for you. I'm so excited for next time that we talk. Um, because, because I'll recap all of this stuff, but the one thing that you'll say that's different well, maybe not, but would, wouldn't it be funny if it was, is that you'll tell me you opened a store. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see, I mean, Denali. We'll see. I mean, we, we just have to go off of if this interview led us to, I would have never believed. <laughs> then I guess the something. next step, the next step is that you never would have thought you were going to open the store. <laughs> I, so, I know right and if time you know if we if we give it the same timeline that's about three years so 2026 I'll see you then okay sounds good <laughs> Ho- hopefully hopefully you don't make me wait until 2026 to talk to you again I mean listen you know you can call you got my number and I, have your I number. had yours I just I just didn't realize because you know what here's the funny thing Nick once I texted or you whoever texted first anyways recently I have you in there for some reason as Nicholas oh, and not Nick. Okay. Yeah, I, I know. So I don't know, like, you know, Are you like my you're... mom or something. No, I'm just well, kidding. no, I, you know how sometimes like the phone will input people's names. Oh, a got way? It. Yep. Is that why it is in there? Probably like auto, like based off of my like Apple ID or something. I think so. Cause it like has your full name in there, which I don't always put people's full names in there, but anyways, so Look, I wonder if I probably like time. sent you my contact or something that probably explains it. Yeah. Well, and you gave me your social security number too, which I thought was weird. 
Yeah, right on the back of my bank statement. <laughs> yeah. And you, yeah, and one of your report cards too. Yep. It was just a manila envelope. <laughs> right. It said Nick's life. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Nick. This has been such a fun interview. I think so fascinating to just hear how much your life and business has changed in these past few years. I'm so excited for you. Things are going so well. And I just know that next time we talk, for the podcast we will talk sooner in real life but for the podcast uh things are going to be incredible then as well well thank you always always a pleasure always a pleasure all right well i'll talk to you later yeah bye bye, bye. thanks again to nick for being on this week's episode of the podcast again you can find nick on instagram under the username nci resale and all of that information will be in the show notes for you. This past week, I celebrated my six-year anniversary of full-time reselling. What a wonderful journey it's been. I wanted to take a moment to thank you all again for joining me in this journey that I've taken and for also listening to this podcast. It really means a lot to me. I hope you all are having a wonderful summer and wonderful week. Until next time, keep on listing and keep on selling.